You're listening to Oak City Move, a new podcast from 88.1 WKNC, highlighting people doing positive things in Raleigh and beyond. Oak City Move can be heard on air every Friday morning from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on 88.1 WKNC or online at wknc.org listen. For episodes and more information, go to blog.wknc.org or follow us on SoundCloud at WKNC881. WKNC88.1 Raleigh. And coming up next, I have people here from Art on the Move. And my name's Fionn. I'm here for the Oak City Move, which is a weekly show on Fridays from 9 to 11. We highlight organizations and people who are enacting positive change in the community, spreading cultural awareness and also artists to inspire and empower. So they're a perfect fit for our show, and I'm excited to speak with them. Would you introduce yourselves? Kim Curry Evans, Director of Public Art with the City of Raleigh. I'm Jillian Ohl, and I'm an artist. And I'm Pat Fitzgerald. I'm a professor of art and design at NC State College of Design. Well, thank you for coming in. We're so happy to have you here. Um, Tell me about Art on the Move. Well, Art on the Move, in short, is a public art project that started 10 years ago with regards to uh, a partnership between, um, at that time, I think it was the Raleigh Transit Authority, which is now called Go Raleigh, um, and the Office of Raleigh Arts, which is a part of the city of Raleigh, to figure out a way to connect the two by using buses and art um, to, to show creativity in the city of Raleigh. So at that time, they decided to select 12 buses Uh, and put out an artist call to say, hey, artist, we would like for you to submit your designs that will go on the sides of these buses. And uh, it was immediately something that was very popular in the community. And a lot of um, artists in Raleigh and Wake County specifically um, submitted work, um, of which 12 would get selected. And so the first time it it rolled out with those 12 buses, it was amazing because it was about seeing art throughout Raleigh and not just in a certain area. So it became almost a uh, Where's Waldo event where artists would be seeing their buses, whether it was in North Raleigh or Southeast Raleigh or in downtown, um, for a period of six months um, during that first year, which is 2007. We have continued that partnership, uh, so we are preparing to debut uh, in May the latest iteration of the 12 buses that have been selected for that project. And so are you two involved in these buses, or do you play a different role with Art on the Move? No, my art's on the bus. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, it's it's kind of fun to to see your work uh, for the first time or many times, actually, uh, as it rounds the corner and suddenly you see this... uh, this uh, giant image—it's—it's it's quite a quite a thrill. Yeah, it's a um, the focus thematically of what we would like to see on the buses is a work that somehow celebrates Raleigh in some way. Um, so the beauty of it is seeing how artists are very unique in their interpretations of what Raleigh means to them. So sometimes an artist might focus on the writers of the bus, or some artist might focus on Raleigh's history in some way. So uh, it's, it's great because every time the, the competition goes out, uh, we see extremely different designs. So it actually becomes really difficult to select just 12. If we could do more, we would. Um, but 
you know, it's great to be able to see that. So how does this work? Are artists coming and painting directly onto the bus? Do they send you a print and you get it screened onto that bus? Or? That's a really good question. And a lot of times we get asked that when artists are first with regards to applying for doing the project. So what they submit is essentially a digital file of their design. So no, they are not painting directly on the bus. From what I understand, the sides of the bus that we're looking to cover is about 450 inches long. So that would be a lot of painting uh, to do that. And I think way more expensive. Uh, but what it is instead is that that digital file gets translated into a wrap, uh, a material that essentially gets applied to the sides of the buses. So the artist um, might actually create artwork that might have been a painting, and artists do do that. But what they end up doing is photographing that artwork and then translating it into this design that will go on to the sides of the bus. So we've seen everything from um, paintings to photography to drawings to digital work uh, that all have been translated somehow to this digital file, which they then submit to us, and we consider that for the, for the project. So for the artists, what was your process in you know, coming up with what you wanted to go on the buses? Did you take something you had already painted and just submit that, or what kind of thought process went into that? Well, I wanted to create something special uh, that had to do with my experience in Raleigh and what I kind of thought about living here and working here. So I created 20 separate paintings or somewhere along that and scanned them in and arranged them all digitally. And for me, I, I, I love this project. I do it every year and uh, once in a while I, I win it, but I, 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 I look forward to just coming up with ideas each year for, for this thing. And this year I thought, well, uh, you know, uh, Buses are, are public. Uh, bus, buses are not necessarily the, uh, the, the, the most customized uh, uh, personal thing in the world, and, and maybe they're not that exciting. So I thought, what would be the opposite of, of all of those? So I thought, well, maybe I'll make a, a hot rod bus. So I, I created uh, flames and uh, uh, thorns and et cetera, et cetera, in a kind of a, a, a tattoo-esque uh, a, a, a aesthetic. So uh, uh, in, in that way, I, I just tried to think of the unexpected, basically, and tried to, to make an image that uh, might, might surprise and maybe even delight. So where did the idea for Art on the Move come from? Uh, I, I believe it came from this desire to figure out a way to use um, our transit department as a vehicle for public art. And so I think it was about brainstorming what would be the quickest, easiest way to be able to do that. The city of Raleigh um, is very supportive um, of the arts here in Raleigh, and I'm, I'm excited to be able to see that. And so what you'll see within different departments is how they are wanting to promote art in some way. And so it was an easy thing for Go Raleigh to come to our, the art office and say, what can we do? How can we partner? And this is what they came up with. Um, as a result of that. I should also add that um, in the transit um, authorities' offices off of Pool Road, where their main, their main office is, they've also taken some of the public art pieces that are a part of Art of the Move over the years and have created large 
banners that are suspended um, in their offices. So they really, really, really love uh, this public art project and want to see it as a part of what they're doing in their facility permanently. So it's a very cool partnership of which um, hopefully there'll be other partnerships within the city that will be like this. So I'd like to hear from each of you, you know, personally, what do you feel is the importance of having public art here in Raleigh? Um, I think it gives character to a community. You know, artists are so important and enriching, and this is a good way of representing that. Um, you know, think about everybody you know in Raleigh and how nice of a place this is to live, and the art really reflects that. Um, I think it's proven, like even statistically, that public art makes people happier. Even when you walk down the street in your neighborhood and you see this really colorful mural, it brings you joy every day, and le at least that's what I've experienced. Yeah, and I think uh, public art doesn't have to be a permanent thing. It can uh, it can be electronic. It can be projected. It can it can be made of vinyl. Uh, it can be a happening. Uh, but yeah, just the vitality and the, you know the the culture of the community gets uh, expressed, and I think that's what uh, everybody would be uh, interested in is having a, a richer environment in, in that way. So uh, I think the Raleigh Art Commission does an excellent job in uh, promoting that, and uh, think about all the activities, uh, in, including SparkCon and and other other things that uh, that pervade art space and uh, the other other great. Uh, facilities. It's just a. Uh, it's just a, a, a way to express the creativity and vitality of uh, of Raleigh. So tell me about some other collaborations that you've had in the past. Maybe either with uh, the transportation department or just about what's going on with art in Raleigh right now. Wow, that's a that's a big question. Um, and there's many many things uh, that we could talk about. I I would say one of the more recent collaborations that's coming to be is working with the North Carolina Museum of Art uh, to do something big with regards to public art uh, next year. So that's something that's uh, uh, in the beginning stages of which we're excited to be able to share more once we can do more. Um, but also we are working uh, with this group here in Raleigh who was very much about wanting to see uh, murals everywhere and public art everywhere um, to debut in October this murals festival called Optic, uh, which will be 10 days in October where there will be 10 sites downtown where artists will be brought in from local as well as afar uh, to create uh, murals or public art installations um, in Raleigh. So it's, you know, those are just, just off the top of my head, a couple of the collaborations that we're looking to do. Would these murals be permanent murals, like on sides of buildings? Some of them will, and some of them will not be. So some artists work with yarn, for example. Awesome. Other artists uh, work with light. So um, the, the concept of mural does not have to be just painting on a wall, which is, of course, another aspect which will be a part of this festival. But it helps folks to see that um, public art murals specifically can be more than just uh, painting on a wall. It can be a lot of different things as well. Do you feel that there are any challenges that the art community is facing in Raleigh nowadays, be it people like pushing back on having a painting on the wall or anything like that? I, I will say this, um, from my perspective, I've been here working for the city doing this 
I want to say over six years now. Um, so I actually didn't see the beginning stages of Art on the Move, but I pretty much had a sense of it um, when I started working here. But what I saw when I first got here was an initial reluctance overall for folks to see public art happen uh, because their thoughts went back in time to a couple of projects that occurred that didn't end up so well. And one was the Plinsa project on Fayetteville Street that never manifested itself. Um, and another one being a piece that is installed, the Time and Light Tower by Dale Eldred, that's on Capitol Boulevard. That, that piece has a chair of controversy. So when I first started working here, uh, a lot of folks were not down with public art too much <laughs> because of the... Scarred from the past. <laughs> yeah, they just like, oh, God, no, things just can't happen uh -huh. like that here. Um, so they were nervous. So I realized in my um, profession that I was going to have to do a lot of um, relationship building to get folks to understand that public art is not a bad thing, that uh -huh. it can indeed be a good thing. And in short now, I think if there is any issues, what it is is we just can't seem to get to all the public art projects fast enough. There's very much an excitement about this exploding from a grassroots level as well as at a leadership level, which is exciting. But it also means I can't get split six ways in terms of seeing how all these different <laughs> projects can um, be realized. It's really, it's an exciting time to be here. I think you've been uh, very creative as well because, uh, you know, uh, thinking about public art as, as a statue in a, in a square is one way to think about it, but to, to, to use different media and different uh, uh, types of uh, ways to think about uh, how things can be uh, done in a, on an, an event level or, or to use buses. Uh, th these, are, these are creative ways to think about public art, and, and I, I think uh, Raleigh's done an excellent job uh, uh, doing that recently. So are you all from the Raleigh area? I know you said you recently, or kind of recently joined the department, but. I am not. I'm from the West Coast. Um, so uh, I, it, I was a new girl on the block with regards to how things happened arts-wise here in Raleigh. I grew up in Winston-Salem and went to NC State, and I've been here ever since. So in the last six, seven years, it's it been in really incredible to see how downtown has grown and how arts developed and seeing new artists kind of come up. And uh, I've witnessed how supportive the art community here, which is really nice. So being from North Carolina, I have a lot of pride um, in representing kind of my community and my state. And I've been uh, teaching at the College of Design for over 20 years, uh, uh, so I've, I've uh, really uh, enjoyed seeing people like Jillian uh, uh, pass through our program and uh, do such great things. I'm from uh, Kansas City and uh, uh, came here about, uh, about 20 years ago. We've been speaking with people from Art on the Move, and earlier we were talking about where everyone's coming from. So, Kim, you're from the West Coast. I'm um, an Air Force. I'm a military girl, so we actually bounced around. But I would say home <laughs> for me was California, uh, specifically Vacaville, California. Yeah, I don't think too many people know where that's <laughs> at. Um, so, yeah. 
And then you're coming from Winston-Salem. Mm-hmm. And you've been here for about 20 years yeah, now? For 20 years, I have. So, Kim, I'd like to talk about, you know, what are some of the differences you've seen from, you know, where you call called home and mm-hmm. now here, maybe in the art community or just in general, coming to Raleigh as, as a new city? Well, I would, I would say this. Um, coming from the West Coast and more specifically from um, California, both Northern and Southern California, um, they have a very strong arts presence that is really about an organizational strength. So there's a lot of organizations that are doing great work um, so that you can have fantastic opportunities to do um, art events wherever. Um, the thing that I noted about Raleigh when I moved here is this. Yes, there is a strong um, organizational um, showing with regards to art spaces and um, performance venues and whatnot. But the beautiful thing that I see about Raleigh that I love so much is that there are individuals who are very much interested in doing things as well. So it's truly this grassroots, boots-on-the-ground place where folks don't have to be a part of any particular organization. They can just do art where they want to and how they want to. And that's what I love um, so much about being here. It inspires me to um, be artistic in ways. And so I love seeing that here. We've got a strong arts foundation with regards to city support, arts organizations, but there's this there's something about this individual approach to being creative here in Raleigh um, that is different and I think is really, really um, unique to Raleigh. And so from coming from Winston-Salem, um, what are some differences you saw there? Well, growing up there, it's a very arts-friendly city. There's the North Carolina School of the Arts. Um, there's the Rinalda House and Southeastern Contemporary Center for Art. So I had a lot of resources and a lot of great education through high school that all of my teachers and people I worked with, no one ever said, you can't be an artist. You can't work in a creative field. Um, and I felt the exact same way going to state and going through the design program. No one tells you no, not too much. <laughs> so when I came out of school, I absolutely knew that I could be a working artist. I could work in the arts. I'm currently a gallery manager in downtown Raleigh of the Mahler Fine Art, which has provided me so many resources. And I'm so lucky to know so many artists in the area and to see the reach of meeting other artists in Wilmington and Durham and even Asheville and seeing how Raleigh's kind of almost feels like a hub for all that, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. And over my uh, time at the, at the College of Design, we've really seen that, that uh, people can make a living in in the arts and design. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a component of our of our life, especially the electronic component of it. Uh, so creative people can express themselves in uh, in uh, in various ways and and really be a, a functional, uh, active, uh, productive component of of the of the community in general and the creative community, specifically. So I've been uh, I've I've been uh, very uh, actually. Uh, 
just gratified to to see uh, how many folks have come out of the College of Design that that are that are, that are still here and they're also all over the the country and the world, but uh, who are who are co- contributing to to the creative community. We see a lot of in the city when we're looking at applications that come in for different public art projects that are occurring. We see a lot of folks who are either graduates of NCSU in some way or are still, you know, pursuing their um, degree. So I think that's quite impressive in terms of the strength of um, students or former students that have studied here at NCSU. So you mentioned off-air earlier that there's a really strong connection between the arts in Raleigh and with NC State. Could you speak Mm -hmm. more on that? Well, I'll speak specifically with regards to the Art on the Move project. It's been fun um, to see a lot of students who actually apply. Uh, It should be noted, the Art on the Move project becomes a cool one for artists to do um, when they're looking to do a public art project because it doesn't necessarily um, have all the things that might go into a typical public art project. A lot of times artists applying for those have to have experience with regards to knowing architecture, engineering, design principles, working with multiple stakeholders, a lot of highbrow kind of things that make public art and entering into that realm um, quite difficult at times if you're not familiar with it. Art on the Move is, is simpler in the sense that it's about an artist being able to submit a design and from there be able to get selected for that. So it's a lot easier in that respect. I think there's going to be some complications about that. We'll talk about it in a minute. But um, with regards to comparing it to uh, traditional public art projects, it's, it's a fairly simple process. NCSU students, as a result, see this as a cool way to apply. So we'll get a lot of students who will submit their designs, and I think they're a part of the College of Design specifically for this project. And I even remember one particular year, and I want to say it was 2013, it actually became a competition of sorts for the students to to submit and get their designs in so they could see who got selected and who didn't. Um, So it's a very big deal and a very real thing in terms of that connection. I'm grateful that our On The Move is so accessible to everybody to all sorts of artists, it, you're right, it's not this big kind of monster mm-hmm. where you're, it's not like you're installing something crazy and huge, it's, um, it's very tangible. So it feels less intimidating going into it, like, oh, I can do this. <laughs> but on the other hand, the, uh, the, the process of doing it is, uh, is somewhat uh, uh, overwhelming just be- be- because of the sheer scale of, of these, of these uh, panels. I think the files, uh, uh, when you finally uh, publish them with the specs, are, are over 500 megabytes, a half a gigabyte, and uh, it, it, it actually uh, is not a, a Photoshop standard file format anymore. It goes into whatever it is, extra big Photoshop <laughs> file format. Uh, so uh, it, it can be uh, a, a, a bit intimidating uh, if, uh, if you're not aware that, uh, that, that this, the detail and scale of, of, of the, the actual project. So we'll get phone calls from the artists who are just freaking out. They want to submit their design, however, maybe they're a quilter or they're a painter, and they just don't understand how they're going to translate that into, let's say, a 500 megabyte 
file, which is not small. Um, we are there to help, however, so we are happy to be able to walk them through that. Um, but it does become this intimidating thing when you see the uh, um, application of requirements and see mm-hmm. you've got to submit it as this big design. It's got to mm-hmm. be a big piece that's translated onto the side of a big bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we want to be able to ensure everyone can um, participate and not have that be a detriment um, to what they're doing. So we'll work with them. We even had some submissions where it just didn't quite fit that final that they were supposed to uh, provide for us. We still allowed it to be looked at, knowing if the panel, because it is reviewed by an artist selection panel, if they like that design well enough, good enough, that we'll work with the we'll continue to work with the artist and make sure we can get it to fit the proper format. So we don't want that big file to be the detriment for them not submitting. For example, I had twenty paintings plus of all my images that I wanted, and I put them in a bag and drove to DHL Library right before they close to non-students. You know, like at ten o'clock at night and scanned them all using the book scanners because those were the biggest ones and they scanned at a crazy high definition and were able to like email them to myself so that's awesome <laughs> yeah so i want to try something we've never done this before but uh historically wknc hasn't really taken callers on air because you never know what someone's gonna say and also we don't have that many talk shows but now that we do have this talk show i'd like to try taking some questions on air so if you have any questions for people who are here, you can call 919-515-0881 or 919-515-2400, and we will take your call. You will be on air, so, you know, a little common sense would be great. Maybe no curse words, because you'll get our station in trouble and you'll never listen to WKNC again. You know, it's kind of sad, so don't do that. But again, we are the Oak City Move. We are a weekly show on Fridays from 9 to 11, talking to organizations and people in the Triangle who are enacting positive change in our communities, spreading cultural competency, and also uh, artists who inspire and empower. We've been speaking with Art on the Move here. So if you have any questions, you can call in. We also have a Twitter if you'd like to tweet your question at us. If you prefer not to talk on the phone, it is oakcitymove at gmail.com. And so while we're seeing if any callers come in, I had some callers earlier and we couldn't stop because, you know, we were talking. But in the meantime, I... uh, was interested, what are some changes you've seen in Raleigh over the last, you know, 20 years? You've been here for a while. Um, maybe- well, it's a, it's, a, it's a, you know, not to be the old guy, but it's been an explosion uh, of, 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 uh, of activity. And uh, you take uh, Glenwood uh, uh, Road, for example. Uh, uh, 20 years ago, it had uh, one sandwich shop on it, believe it or not. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and now, of course, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great hub. Uh, you know, downtown uh, at, at one point in time was... Uh, no place to be on the weekends for sure. Uh, it was uh, uh, it was a very small townish sort of feel to it, uh, and now of course it's just this uh, very active, vibrant place with uh, all kinds of uh, new ideas, new buildings, uh, young creative people, be them visual be visual artists, uh, code entrepreneurs, or uh, social activists. So it's just uh, it's this is a great great time to be in Raleigh, and I'm I'm very excited to see all the great things that are happening. And I'm here with Art on the Move. We have been talking about, you know, some of the difficulties, but also some of the awesome things that have been coming out of Arts Movements in Raleigh, as well as their project right now, which is getting artists to submit 
and put their art on the buses. And you've already closed submissions. You've got everyone picked out already. We do indeed. And uh, one of the buses I wanted to point out that we've started in the last couple of iterations of the project is what we call our teen bus. And this is where we actually, instead of artists just submitting a design, this is a project where we partner an artist with um, students and they create the design for this particular bus. Um, And so we started that in 2015, and so this is our second chance to do that with 2017. And so we're working with artist Peter Marin, who does these abstractions, uh, which is interesting because you'll be thinking, how do you turn something abstract into some thematic thing on a bus? But he is working with the Raleigh Youth Council, they did their workshops at the Pullen Art Center to basically learn about um, painting and art, but also to come up with their concept with regards to uh, taking um, abstraction and translating that into something that is about movement. So we haven't seen the design yet, but we're looking forward to seeing it hopefully in the next week or two um, so that uh, that will be um, our 12th bus Um, as a part of the design. So it's pretty cool. And so if people want to get involved, maybe come out to some events, what can they do? Where can they find you? And maybe you tell us about some of the things you have coming up. Well, certainly. Well, the buses themselves will debut um, in May. Um, But what I want to make sure I point out is every year, every time we do this, they debut as a part of Art Explosure, um, which occurs that third weekend in May. Um, In this particular um, iteration of the project, the way we want to celebrate it is not to do it how we've traditionally done it in the past, which is we'll have maybe six of the buses that will be out, Art Explosure Weekend, um, and then folks can come see them, the mayor comes out, there's a ribbon cutting. We decided we didn't want to go that route this year. What we want to do as a part of this um, 10-year celebration, and our hashtag is hashtag art everywhere, uh, is to instead have the buses be featured as a part of the R-Line, which traditionally runs a loop around downtown. So for um, that Saturday, May 20th, for Art Explosure, we are going to take the name R-Line and change it to Art Line. (laughs) Hello, Art (laughs) Line. Uh, And it will feature our buses with the designs on them, but it will also feature performers on the buses. So if you catch the art line, you might come up with a comedian or a musician or uh, a poet. So we will be doing that from 12 to noon, or from 12 to 4 on May 20th. Um, And the Go Raleigh is is absolutely excited about this. We think it'll be a very fun um, venture, but it also reiterates how we very much want to be able to see art everywhere. So our buses will be out, but also um, people being creative will be out and about on those buses. That's a great way to get people onto the public transit, too, because I know some of the trouble has been not enough people are using it because they don't know how to use it. Right. So, so that gives them a great reason to right. go out and check that out. 
I remember hearing, um, actually, at one of the board meetings, they were actually saying that the um, ridership was going down a little bit with regards to that. So I think this will be a great way for folks to say, you know what, I'm going to get back up on that bus and check it out. And where can we find some of your work? I show throughout Raleigh. I'm always involved in local exhibitions. I have a website. Yeah, Um, you could read that off to us, too, if you want to jillianold.com it's really easy no one else has that domain name (laughs) um and you can always come and say hi to me at the mauler i'm always there or just wave through the window on fayetteville street (laughs) we periodically uh, i think next year we're going to have uh uh uh, potentially an opening at uh, a camp for some interactive media and uh, last uh, six months ago we also had an interactive uh, opening on a first friday for uh, vr related uh things. Uh, so uh, uh, if you check the College of Design, you can see the, the latest uh, activities and openings that, that uh, we'll be having. And how can people find out about you? Or is that oh, the campus? Oh, uh, yeah. It's uh, uh, Pat uh, Fitzgerald at WordPress.com. And I have some other sites as, as well. But uh, you can tech, check also check out the College of Design. I think some of our, our work of our lab, which is called the Experience Design Lab, is also featured. Well, thank you for coming in. We've really enjoyed having you. Uh, for our listeners, you're listening to the Oak City Move. And we've been speaking with Kim, Jillian, and Pat about some of their work with Art on the Move. I would like to also be able to say, if you would like to see the designs for Art on the Move, we will have them up on the Raleigh website. So just go to or you should check out RaleighNC.gov um, so you can see the designs. The pieces will be on the buses from May through November. So if you are not able to get on the bus May 20th, you will be able to still see them throughout Raleigh for the following six months. Great. Well, we will put up these links on our Facebook page and our blog, which is oakcitymove.tumblr.com, or you can just look us up on Facebook. And if you stick around, we will be speaking with Mighty Neighborly about some of their work with Stand Against HB2 and with their organization. WKNC 88.1 Raleigh. I have Elizabeth Haddix here along with Phil Venable from Mighty Neighborly. And Elizabeth is going to be headlining a concert, a benefit concert that, well, it's at the top of the poster. So I said headlining. (laughs) Close enough, yeah. Um, they'll be playing the Hall River Ballroom for a benefit concert being put on by Mighty Neighborly. So thank you for coming in. Thank you very much for, for having, having us. us. Yeah. So tell me, what is Mighty Neighborly? Uh, Mighty Neighborly is a NPO that was founded by myself and Mike Allen. I met Mike. Uh, he was the principal organizer for the Stand Against HB2 shows, and I provided the basically the stage management for that. We had talked before the election about the ongoing need throughout the state, regardless of what candidate would win. And we wanted to be able to highlight um, communities and groups and resources that are underrepresented in the state of North Carolina and be able to begin to build sort of a coalition and have people be aware that, you know, the person that lives next to you is your neighbor. It doesn't really matter if they're poor, hungry, LGBTQ, black or white, that it's important that we all help each other. And so we're trying to network everybody to those resources. And so tell me about this concert. Well, this uh, concert 
uh, is for the UNC Center for Civil Rights. Uh, they provide a valuable service to the state of North Carolina citizens. And uh, we had already considered reaching out to both Mark DeRosa and Elizabeth Haddix about that, but then, you know, certain events occurred that accelerated this planning uh, in order to provide um, awareness for the center's mission as well as some much-needed financial support. Uh, Could you speak more on that, uh, Elizabeth? Sure. So the Center for Civil Rights was started in 2001 um, by then dean of the law school, Gene Nickel, and um, the next dean, Jack Boger, uh, and Julius Chambers, who, um, for those of you who don't know who he is, you, you should find out. He's legendary civil rights lawyer, um, uh, African-American, uh, North Carolinian, um, the first African-American at UNC Law to um, be editor of the Law Review Journal. And this was back in the, the, the late 50s. Um, just a, an incredible person. 13 cases to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, won them all, I believe. And is uh, probably North Carolina, definitely North Carolina, North Carolina's um, most influential and um, notable uh, lawyer and civil rights leader, leader to come out of North Carolina. So that's the legacy of the Center for Civil Rights. We, our mission as um, Chambers defined it was to dis- dismantle structural racism. And we do that by supporting communities where they are in their struggles to resist, um, you know, uh, governmental and other policies that that in further entrench the legacy of segregation in our state. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've been facing in these past maybe couple weeks, maybe the past couple months? Um, um, well, for the Center for Civil Rights, I can say that it's been a, a, um, disheartening to have a proposal, uh, a proposed resolution come back up in front of the Board of Governors to um, cripple the, you know, the Center for Civil, uh, Center for Civil Rights work. Um, to cripple our ability to advocate for communities um, across North Carolina. And, um, you know, this most recent proposal um, from Board of Governors members Steve Long and Joe Knott is directly targeted at the Center for Civil Rights to prohibit us from engaging in litigation. And... Um, while the proposal covers and Im- would impact all centers and institutes at the University of North Carolina in this in the university system, um, uh, it, it definitely would have a significant impact on all centers and institutes. But it's clear that the ideological target in this um, is the U- UNC Center for Civil Rights. And so I'd like to think that most people, when you talk to someone about civil rights and you say, you know, everyone deserves equality, everyone deserves to be treated well, most people, I'd like to think, wouldn't outrightly say people don't deserve to be treated properly. So what are some of the things that the people that you're fighting back against are saying, you know, out loud? Well, and the the claim is that the university should not uh, be uh, acting as a uh, public uh, service law firm, that that we should not be 
litigating cases um, as part of our public service. And I think that the, the, um, what that position fails to take into account is that, that without the ability to, um, to, in the end, after all other efforts by our clients to communicate with the decision makers, um, to sit through board of county commissioner meetings and planning board meetings and board of adjustment meetings where zoning changes happen that 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 are racially discriminatory, um, that after all those efforts fail, and that's the way we work, we we give technical support, research, um, and advocacy for those communities in those. Um, civic engagement processes. And after all of that fails, then where there is a, um, a claim to be made in a, in a court of law, we make it on behalf of those communities. And without that ability to do that, all of that other work is undermined. Um, and that's just part of the center's mission. The, the, a, a huge central part of the center's mission is to train and educate the next generation of civil rights lawyers, and to give all would-be lawyers at the law school, the law students, um, regardless of what their their career goals are, to give them all the ability to have direct engagement with communities and to see what a real civil rights law firm does for in our community lawyering. And so, um, you know, the position that Joe Knott articulated and Stephen Long has articulated in his, in his memorandum and, and resolution to the Board of Governors misses that whole point, that, that that's the valuable service that we're providing to law students um, at the university and as well as to communities. And that's a central part of university's stated public service mission. Um, so I could go on and on about that, but that's the, the brief answer. So how did Mighty Neighborly come to be involved with this? So Mighty Neighborly really wants to focus in on North Carolina uh, resources. Um, you know, I can certainly say, I can't say enough nice things actually about uh, organizations such as the ACLU and Planned Parenthood, but um, I think we wanted to focus in on uh, organizations that were not, I guess, the immediate uh, first thought a lot of people, uh, particularly in North Carolina, there's so many great organizations that you can get help from. Uh, our first couple of benefits were for the Orange County Rape Crisis Center and for a LGBTQ youth center started by a 17-year-old in Alamance County. Um, so we had already thought, gosh, um, you know, Donald Trump is such a great fundraiser for the ACLU. We would really want to focus on North Carolina civil rights organizations. And um, Mark DeRosen is an acquaintance of mine. And I, I already knew the center was having um, – needed some more support. But then, as Elizabeth so eloquently has put it, um, you know, there's been um, – I would consider it an attack upon the basic mission of the Center for Civil Rights. And we thought this was an appropriate time. Uh, we'd worked with the Haw River Ballroom before for HB2, Stand Against HB2 shows, and we just sort of started putting it together. Uh, I'd like to hear you speak on, you know, the importance of music and the role that music has played in supporting causes like this, especially in North Carolina recently. And Elizabeth, you were in the song that we played earlier, and you're also a lawyer. That's awesome. If you could speak to me about your involvement in both of these things and how they're connected. Sarah? 
You want to talk talk about, about music? music? Talk yeah. about music. You've been in the biz I've longer the than biz. I have. <laughs> um, you know, I I don't want to certainly um, understate the valuable work that are done by people that are not musicians. Uh, I would say though there is a, a really great aspect to having these kind of events where it is not strictly focused on you know um, I guess maybe the the more dire consequences. Uh, but also uh, music brings people together from all walks of life. And, you know, with as mighty neighborly as an NPO, that's kind of what we, we want to do. We want to be nonpartisan. We want to kind of get a lot of people in the room together to recognize the commonality as opposed to their differences. And I think music is a great way of doing that. Well, music, you know, lifted up the civil rights movement in the 50s. And I mean, music has always been a part, uh, cultural expressions, always been a part of any great social justice movement that I know about. Um, and, uh, and Elizabeth Haddix and the Girly Flins is, uh, you know, a, a, a hobby, but we did create a fantastic record, um, which came out at the end of last year, Indigenous um and it is full of great area you know local musicians um tim smith plays sax and flute uh, fj ventre plays bass um jason merritt from overdub lane um, is in the band and worked uh to produce the record so it's just uh you know a grassroots um project in itself and i think that you know as hb the musicians against hb2 series showed us it's a a joyful place to show our resistance. WKNC 88.1. And before we were talking um, about kind of the background behind these issues and how music has played a role in raising money and being supportive of these movements. Uh, And you mentioned that Mighty Neighborly is a nonpartisan organization, which I think in recent days, you know, when we talk about social justice, we talk about civil rights, sometimes it is associated with not necessarily nonpartisanship, but people associate it with more left-moving things. So what is the importance of being nonpartisan with your organization here? Uh, I'd say we're generally supportive of progressive issues and progressive direction in the state. But I think it is important to remember that the legacy of white supremacy in the state was not strictly uh, one party's issue and that any articulation of state power that is um, you know, oppressing or limiting the rights of certain class of citizens is, you know, that's bipartisan, unfortunately. So Mighty Neighborly, you know, we want to be able to work with people from both parties or all, you know, unfortunately, I guess this is a two-party system, but we want to be able to work with people from different uh, viewpoints in order to hopefully advance all of North Carolina. uh, Carolina. And how's that been going so far? Well, this will be our third benefit. I think it's... uh, beginning to get some traction and uh, we're real pleased just to be able to help folks that uh, we think provide really valuable services to all of North Carolina. So I'd like to hear more about the benefit concert and you what is your role in putting this on and you know tell me about it. Well Mighty Neighborly's sort of goal mission right now um, is to provide platform, you know, a a bigger megaphone, as it were, for these organizations and for people to learn more about them. Uh, We don't want to be in the position of telling anybody what to do, but we want to be able to enable uh, community resources to find 
their uh, audience and their communities and for those communities to be able to know more about the Center for Civil Rights in this case. So what we have done is essentially handled all the logistics uh, for the event, and we provide, you know, we'll have a nice green room, beer for the bands, little snacks. We're going to have some great speakers. We'll have Senator Floyd McKissick, uh, Jr. there. Um, we'll have Representative Greg Mayer there. Uh, I believe Mark DeRosen, the managing attorney for the center, will be speaking as well. We'll have Senator Angela Bryant there. We'll have Mark Kleinschmidt there to speak. So, you know, we want people to enjoy themselves and come away knowing a little bit more about what the center does and to be in the position to be more supportive of that mission. And so tell me some background about putting this show together, you know, reaching out to the artists, that kind of thing. Well, obviously, through the Stand Against HB2 shows, we knew a fair amount of people that would be willing to do this. Uh, we're really pleased to be able to have folks back that we've had before, like Sherlet Ammons, who we just heard, uh, the Backsliders, Kenny Roby, a six-string drag. Uh, we're also going to have uh, newer artists like the Pre-Raphaelites, which is actually members of the Velt and the Connell's new band. Uh, obviously, Elizabeth's a very fine band. Uh, and uh, Well, I'm personally excited. Uh, Alice Gerard, a bluegrass legend, will be uh, playing. I mean, she was on the Harlan County USA soundtrack. of singing Which Side Are You On? Um, many, many years ago with Hazel Dickens, and that really made a big impression on me when I was a kid, so I'm really happy about that. And we're here speaking about this Mighty Neighborly concert. Well, they're putting it on, and it's called Justice for All, and it's coming up this coming Sunday, right? That's correct. It'll be at Hall River Ballroom starting around noon. And there are several artists artists presenting as well as some speakers. Yes. So we've had Elizabeth Haddix, and she's here speaking about the center as well because she's also a lawyer and is doing the music. Um, right. We also have I Was Totally Destroying It playing, uh, Kenny Roby, Happy Abandon. Uh, the Backsliders, Charlotte Ammons, all kinds of people. And you can check out more on that. Uh, what's the website? Or is there somewhere online people can find this? Yes. So we're at uh, www.mightyneighborly.org. And I will let Elizabeth speak to the UNC Center for Civil Rights. So you can just Google us, UNC Center for Civil Rights. We have a blog site, uh, blog, um, and a Facebook page as well. And um, I wanted to also give a shout out to Justin Ellis, who's in Happy Abandon. He's on um, my record, Indigenous, as well. So it's going to be Old Home Week this Sunday at Hot River Ballroom. Justin's everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> he is. I he's think awesome. he's in. I think he's in Seattle right now, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> So I would like to open this floor up to callers. This, uh, you, if you would like to ask any questions, you can call 919-515-0881 or 919-515-2400. You can also tweet at us. It is Oak City Move, and I'll be live checking that. So I'm interested, what are some, we've already talked about maybe some of the obstacles that you faced uh, in the past, but what are some things that have been going really well for you recently? Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, Mighty Neighborly. Yeah, yeah from, I guess, from, from Mighty Neighborly's perspective. Uh, well, you know, I think the great thing is just that um, being able to be a part of civic engagement in the state is just, it's a great feeling. It's also amazing to meet such wonderful people that provide such invaluable services, such as Elizabeth in the center, uh, Orange County Rape Crisis Center, uh, and meeting people. And we're 
actively trying to recruit volunteers and any kind of support we can get. So just having these conversations with people and reaching out to uh, the citizens of North Carolina, I mean, I find that very gratifying. Well, um, things that have been going well for us, uh, we had our appeal at the Supreme North Carolina Supreme Court on behalf of victims of North Carolina's 40-year eugenics policy, forced sterilization policy. Uh, we won that appeal at the North Carolina Supreme Court, so we're going back to the Court of Appeals on the merits of our constitutional challenge to restrictive parts of the North Carolina's Eugenics Compensation Act. And we have had, we just learned that one of our clients in Halifax County, where we have an appeal pending, we're just waiting on a decision from the North Carolina Court of Appeals on our appeal on behalf of parents and students in Halifax County who are suffering under the tripartite school district. Uh, There's three separate school districts in Halifax County, which are Um, two essentially all black and one that's majority white in a county that is, of course, majority African-American. And so we're waiting on that. uh, uh, While we wait on that decision um, from the North Carolina Court of Appeals, we learned that um, one of the leaders of the community organization coalition that we represent in Halifax County, Becky Copeland, who will be with us on Sunday, at the Haw River Ballroom. She just uh, won the chair of the Halifax Democratic Party. Um, so that's an important piece, not because of any, for any partisan reason, but just to see leaders in the community on issues of social justice um, getting into places where they can be more influential is, is always a happy thing for us. I mean, our clients inspire us daily. Um, the other thing that's been inspiring is all the support we've gotten from students, it, uh, folks who've interned at the center, been fellows at the Center for Civil Rights, and our fe- fellow, you know, our colleagues on the faculty at UNC Law that have come out. Um, our dean of the law school, Martin Brinkley, um, have been so supportive in, um, you know, rallying uh, folks to. Uh, let the Board of Governors know how important the Center for Civil Rights is and let them also know that 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 we um, uh, oppose this uh, effort to 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 cripple us. So that's inspiring to us. And you talk you touched on a lot of issues that y'all are overcoming just now. And for people who don't know, what is the background behind the eugenics compensation? Because I didn't learn about that until freshman year of college. And I, it's been going on for so long. Yeah. So between the, um, really got into full force in 1933 until 1974, North Carolina, like um, a number of other states, uh, had a eugenics policy. So it was a policy developed and implemented through the Department of Welfare back then, or Health and Human Services today, um, in which... uh, you know, folks who were deemed to be unfit to reproduce, um, to have children, were selected and um, targeted for forced sterilization. This is a, um, a, a, a strategy that, of course, the, um, you know, Nazi Germany implemented um, and actually, you know, uh, emulated from, from, from our policy here in North Carolina um, it, it, you know, the, the goal, I guess the stated goal was to reduce the welfare roles so um, that you would sort of eliminate people who needed to be taken care of by the state. 
Um, of course, that's, you know, the human rights elements of this, um, not to mention the moral aspects of it, are, are, are really, um, you know, earth shattering, right, for a lot of us. But the, our program in North Carolina went on longer um, than almost all the other um, states' programs did. But to our credit, um, in 2000, our governor uh, issued a public apology for this program and set a task force about uh, figuring out how to uh, remedy or, or provide restitution for that injustice that affected thousands and thousands of North Carolinians. The state admitted to forcibly sterilizing over 7,000, but we know that um, there were many, many, many more people um, sterilized through uh, county health departments that were following this policy. So we got involved back in 2013 when finally the uh, legislature uh, had a bill um, to remedy or, or, or provide some compensation to the victims and their families. And um, just through our client communities across the state, which are mostly um, poor African-American folks, marginalized people, um, and those are the folks, black women actually, were disproportionately impacted by this policy in, its, in the peak years between 1948 and, and 1974. And so uh, we, we saw this again as, a, as an issue of, of um, you know, structural, well, as Phil said, you know, really white supremacy, right? And so we, um, although the, the statute itself, the, the eugenic statute, specifically targeted people with mental disabilities, people who were mentally, quote unquote, mentally retarded, um, epileptic, had epilepsy. I mean, there's a number of sort of statutory criteria that were targeted, but we know in its application, it impacted people who were poor and people who were marginalized in our society and those folks disproportionately African-American um, at that time in North Carolina, well, still today. But so um, that's why we got involved and, um, you know, those are the folks that we represent on appeal as well. And that's just one example of what the Center for Civil, is it rights? Civil rights it, uh, or justice. Uh, it has done for us. And I'd like to hear more about what Mighty Neighborly does outside of this concert like things that you've been doing. Right. We'll so doing. as I said, we, we are, I think we were incorporated all two months ago and all officially NPO'd up. But uh, as we move forward, not only do we wish to do, you know, these kind of events in terms of, you know, I guess concerts, but we're trying to work on some ideas for forums. For example, we're exploring an idea about, um, you know, debates between, I guess more conservative elements in the state and more you know progressive elements in terms of religious freedom and how that uh, the friction uh, once it uh, enters into the public space and affects civil liberties and things like that. Uh, we're very keen also in starting to add a, a voter registration component to these uh, events because we want people to sort of get excited about maybe the Center for Civil Rights, for example. Think about the impact and the consequences of voting or not voting and what it can do to community resources like the UNC Center for Civil Rights or other organizations um, and vote. Uh, we believe the power of the vote is the single greatest power that a citizen has, and we strongly encourage everyone to do that, and we want people to be mindful of the consequences 
of not voting. That song you just heard was from Kenny Roby. It was called Memories and Birds. And he will be playing Justice for All, which is a concert coming up this Sunday, April 9th at, at noon. It's put on by Mighty Neighborly, who we've been speaking to. And there's going to be a huge variety of people playing. It's going to be Kenny Roby that will be there, Charlotte Ammons, Elizabeth Haddocks. Happy Abandon. I was totally destroying it. You can check out the website um, for any information. And tell us again where we can find more information. Uh, MightyNeighborly.org. We've also out there on the Twitters and the Facebook. And the Haw River Ballroom site. And the Haw River Ballroom site, yes. want to specifically uh, single out uh, Heather Lagarde over at the Haw River Ballroom. They donated the space for free. And it is a space that musicians covet to play in. It is such a beautiful place to play, and the sound is so good. So thank you, Heather. Mm Mm-hmm. And Heather actually also helps put on Switchpoint, which is a conference coming up in April. And really, when I went last year, had no idea what public health was, really didn't have any ideas for this show. And this was kind of born out of some talks that happened at Switchpoint. We'll be talking more on the conference in the coming month because it's coming up at the end of this month. So if you're interested, you can check out Mm switchpointideas.com. And so off air, we were talking about this new bill that was proposed. And I'm interested as a Personally, as an agricultural business major and also someone who's interested in these kinds of issues, could you speak on that for us? Sure. So House Bill 467 um, was sort of introduced in committee last week and in the House committee. It um, is a one page, not even a full page long bill you can read about, and it um it, it purports to limit the compensatory damages that a prevailing plaintiff can get in a nuisance action against uh, any agricultural or forestry operation. Um, the bill sponsors uh, publicly stated that the purpose of this bill was to um, uh, was to impact the uh, pending litigation that's been brought by some um, over twenty. Uh, plaintiffs, most of them African-American, I believe it's about 40 plaintiffs in uh, eastern North Carolina, most of them black uh, folks who have lived on their land for generations in the industrial swine operations um, and the waste disposal systems of those operations, which include spraying um, animal waste uh, in powerful jet sprayers across fields um, and storing the waste in open pits, uh, which they refer to as lagoons. Um, the stench, the disease vectors from the flies, the buzzards, um, there's just a range of, of, of impacts that these neighbors um, suffer disproportionately. Native American, African American, and Latino residents in North Carolina um, are, are about two times as likely as a white resident to live within a three-mile radius of these facilities, of these operations. Um, so the bill is targeted uh, specifically at the amount of damages that those plaintiffs would be able to recover in a pending uh, action, but it would also apply, you know, of course, to any other nuisance action against uh, an agricultural operation. And um, because we know that that people of color and poor people in North Carolina are disproportionately um, impacted, because we know that they suffer the the most adverse burdens disproportionately in our state, 
uh, for us, for the Center for Civil Rights, for our clients, this is an issue, again, of structural racism, uh, of white privilege. And um, the bill is being uh, rushed through pretty quickly. It passed a second reading in the House yesterday. There's uh, a good News, News and Observer article about that from yesterday posted on our website right now. And um, it will uh, a, a vote. The vote yesterday was um, interesting, to say the least, how it was uh, Speaker uh, Moore called that vote. Uh, you can read about that as well in the paper. And it will be coming back up in front of the House on Monday for a full vote. So um, folks should know that and know who their representatives are and let them know how they feel about it. And then it will go, if it passes the House, on to the Senate Rules, Agricultural Rules Committee. Um, and, you know, the great thing about our democracy, right, is that we, as a, as a, as a people, uh, have a right to, uh, a statutory right in North Carolina, of course, to uh, let our representatives know uh, how we feel about legislation and it's our duty to do that, right? Um, as Phil was saying, it's our duty to engage. Can't sit around and complain unless you're engaging. So this is a wonderful opportunity for people to engage on something that seems like it's about tort reform, but it's not. It's, it's definitely about white privilege and um, valuing uh, black people's land less, valuing black people's lives less than, than white people's. And we are actually going to have another guest come in this, later this month, we've got Dr. Louis Rivers and Dr. Thomas Easley. They both are in our College of Natural Resources. And I met them at a Nile Project Summit a couple weeks ago talking about sustainab- sustainability and environmental justice issues. So there's actually a course at State uh, focused on environmental justice. And they'll be talking on very similar issues to that. We spoke about that at the retreat. So. Yeah, y'all, y'all have a great center here on sustainable um, agricultural production that 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 we're we're really happy about over at the Center for Civil Rights. We're interested in talking more with y'all about that. Right, because there are so many issues surrounding agriculture, and we're an agriculture school, so mm-hmm. it's good that we have things to you know address these issues. And to also sort of emphasize something, um, ultimately, uh, it's not just going to be this section of the state and a certain population that will feel the effect effects. I mean, if people don't recall about 20 years ago, there were these massive fish kills uh, in the Falls of Noose River and water contamination that was directly uh, the result of hog lagoons. Uh, This state for a long time has been uh, sort of the playground of large agricultural corporations and uh, the impact is absorbed initially by these marginalized communities, but is also felt by all of us. So this is certainly one of these situations, and I think it's the situation for the UNC Center for Civil Rights is, you know, people think, um, you know, we don't need to worry about this, or we can just, it's not affecting me immediately, or it's not affecting me directly. It is, and it will. And the problem, uh, to my perspective is the lack of representation of a lot of these marginalized people. You can't even say disenfranchised because that implies that they initially had the franchise. A lot of these people didn't. Uh, and in order for the state to move forward, it's, they, need to be, uh, they need to be heard and those voices need to be uh, engaged in conversation and also voting. And it's great that this concert's happening, you know, spreading awareness of some of these issues and that the center is 
helping out with that as yeah. well. So we've spoken on issues that you're facing, things that have been going well for you. I'd like to hear about, you know, the future. What are some things that people could help you out with or what are some things that could be going better that you hope to improve <laughs> in, the, in the new future? How much time do we have? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> let me just roll out the scroll here. Um, Show up to where, the concert. Yeah, exactly. Come to, come to the we, right. Ballroom. What we really want, uh, I think I'm, I'm being presumptuous and speaking for Elizabeth, is that we want people to get excited about what both Mighty Neighborly does and what the center does and volunteer. I mean, uh, well, I've always being sold, you know, we need to go and get support and support kind of turns sometimes turns into finances. But what we really want is we want, uh, you know, normal average citizens of, and I don't say that, uh, to, to diminish anybody. We want people, uh, everyday folks, neighbors, friends to come out and volunteer and put themselves, uh, in a, in a position where they are directly influencing the course of their state. Yeah, come out and show your love on Sunday. It's a lot. It's a. It starts at noon. It's going to go till ten o'clock at night. It's like a festival. Um, you know, there's good food there. There's vendors. There's places to run around. There's a, the Haw River. Bring your kids. You know, just come show your love. We'll be we'll right. be there all day. We'll have it's tables for from the center, from Mighty Neighborly, from various client groups. So people will hopefully have an understanding of the incredible network of resources that uh, help keep this state as great as it is. The North Carolina Environmental Justice Network, um, one of the center's clients, will be represented there with information about what they're doing all across the state. Um, we'll have some of our clients, like I said, Becky Copeland from the um, the community group in Halifax County. So it'll be a great day. My name's Fionn. I'm here for the Oak City Move, which is a weekly show, Fridays from 9 to 11, discussing organizations and people who are enacting positive change in our communities, spreading cultural awareness and on issues that they are addressing, and artists who inspire and empower. So today I've been speaking with Mighty Neighborly, which is an NPO. Well, so what is the P in NPO? I know what an NGO is. Nonprofit. <laughs> nonprofit. Okay, yeah. nonprofit organization. Uh, they are bridging gaps in communities and kind of spreading awareness of different organizations and local resources that people can use. And they're putting on this concert called Justice for All, which is going to benefit the UNC Center for Civil Rights. It's going to be on Sunday at noon. You can check out more information on either the Hall River Ballroom website or the Mighty, Mighty Neighborly website, which is mightyneighborly.org. And there are going to be some great artists playing, lots of WKNC favorites. We've got Happy Abandon, I Was Totally Destroying It. Kenny Roby, Charlotte Ammons, Elizabeth Haddix, and the Girly Flins. You know, you can check all that out there um so thank you all for coming out and can you help let people know what more they could do to help you in the future yeah coming on out to the show would be great yeah come out to the show and also um learn about this board of governors resolution uh you can get more information about it on our website and write to the board of governors if you feel the the inspired to do that um there's going to be a public forum on unc's campus may 11th uh, where folks will be, students will be showing up and um, our clients will be showing up. And so just, just, you know, speak out, let your, let your voice be heard. Thank you all for coming into the show today. Thank you for having us. And listeners, if you missed any of the interviews today from Mighty Neighborly, from the UNC Civil Rights Center, or from Art on the Move, who we had earlier, we do post podcasts of our show on blog.wknc.org. Or you can check out our website, oakcitymove.tumblr.com. 
We also got a Facebook page and Instagram, Twitter, all kinds of social media. So we're out there. Happy Abandon is going to be playing the Justice for All concert being held at Hall River Ballroom this coming Sunday at noon. It's hosted by Mighty Neighborly and it benefits the UNC Center for Civil Rights. Uh, You're listening to the Oak City Move, which is a weekly show highlighting organizations who are enacting positive change in their communities, as well as artists who inspire and empower. And my name's Fian. We started back in February, and we've had some amazing guests come out so far. The goal of this show, well, it started out as a frustration with the news and the media presenting a lot of issues, but not necessarily people who are enacting, enacting solutions to fix those issues, you know, going out there and it was kind of disheartening. So I wanted to bring out some of the people who are seeing an issue and say, hey, I have this idea. Let me try to fix this. And so we are trying to have different people, organizations come out so that if you, maybe someone who's listening will hear that idea and say, that's a great idea. I want to get involved or, hey, that's a great idea. And it's giving me a different one that I want to go do myself. So if you have an organization or you're working on a project that you're really excited about, it can address any kind of issue or anything really so if you you're doing something inspiring or you're doing some good work that you want to put out there you can let us know we've got an email address it is oakcitymove at gmail.com you can also tweet at us check out our facebook page all kinds of things that you can do and if you have any comments questions concerns suggestions i'd love to hear them you know i can't improve unless i know what i'm doing wrong so you can call in 919-515-0881 or 919-515-2400 or reach out to us in any of those social media venues. So I'm here solo today. I usually have my co-host Sarah Darwish or Kanchi Gandhi here, but uh, it's just me. So I'm going to go over some events that you can check out to get involved in your communities or just things that are fun to do in Raleigh because... Part of being active is uh, know what's, knowing what's going on around you. And there's so many fun things happening here in our area. First of all, NC State is having a concert, a dance company concert. And recently the dance arts, the movement arts at NC State have been awesome. They've just launched a major or sorry, a minor in dance. And so the program's been great. But this one is going to be celebrating 30 years of NCSU Dance Company. It's going to be today and tomorrow or no. It was yesterday and today, so you can check out more information on that on Facebook, and they've got different kinds of dance styles that you can watch. It's going to be held right here on campus at Stewart Theater. Let's see, what else can you check out? We've got Fridays on the Lawn, which is a WKNC-sponsored event. We host concerts right outside of our studio on Witherspoon's Lawn. It's Today we've got Cosmic Punk, Cosmic Punk and Naked Naps right outside at 5 p.m. It is also First Friday, so there's all kinds of art events happening downtown. And tomorrow, ooh, wait, this is so exciting. Okay, Black Space, which is a new organ, relatively new organization happening in Durham. They put on all kinds of programming for Black youth and a lot of it involves poetry slams. So this is going to close out their season. It is the Grand Slam Finals. It's a youth slam, a poetry slam session, and they're going to be using this as kind of a concert to put together a slam team, which is going to be the first one ever out of Bull City, and they're going to be called Brave New Voices. So if you want to watch that, you can head out to Durham. It's going to be at the Haiti Heritage Center or also known as the St. Joseph's Historic Foundation. 
And you can find more information about that on Black Space's website or on Facebook. And tomorrow, there's the Hillmatic event, which is celebrating Chapel Hill hip-hop culture. And it's going to be all day. It starts at 2 p.m. And I don't think it ends until the bars close, like 2 a.m. They're going to have speakers, presenters. I know uh, they're going to be showing Spinocchio, which is a project of Jaghetto's puppets and all kinds of rappers. They were going to have uh, ASAP Ty play, but he unfortunately is not going to be able to make it anymore. And the final one I want to share with you is the run for Roseanne. Uh, she is one of our three winners, students who were killed in cold blood in Chapel Hill a couple years ago, but they're holding this event for the R3 Winners Foundation. So you can run that tomorrow. It starts at 8 a.m. It's two miles. It's not even a 5K. I can't run very well, but I'll be there. So I'll hopefully see you there. You can check it out at launchgood.com, run for Roseanne, and it starts around 7.30. There'll be all kinds of things out there if you want to check it out. And that's all I've got for you. Usually, Sarah, when Sarah's here, we have a little, what did you learn this past week? Or what's been on your mind lately? But since Sarah isn't here and I don't just want to talk on my own, I'd love to open this up to listeners. So what's something that's been on your mind a lot lately this week? Or something, maybe a piece of advice or anything like that? Something that you learned this week? I'd love to hear from you. You can call 919-515-0881 or 919-515-2400. We'll get you up on that air time and we'll uh, uh, we'll get you up on air if you want to answer either of those questions what have you learned this week or what's been really on your mind love to hear from you because we've never used these phone phone call lines before live so i want to try it out so if you want to check that out again it's 919-515-0881 or 919-515-2400 and we are reaching the end of our hour so Unless I'm getting some calls, I'm going to close this out. You can catch us again next week from 9 to 11. We're going to have we're going to have three guests, actually. It's going to be wild. We've got Dr. Louis Rivers and Dr. Thomas Easley from the College of Natural Resources. We'll be talking about environmental justice and diversity in natural resources. And we will also have Southeast Raleigh Promise speaking with us. And we're going to have, oh, there's this really cool project. It's called Hype, and it's going to be a video series focusing on a man who kind of finds himself immersed in the Durham music scene and in the startup business. So it really, it's set in Durham, so you get to see all kinds of startups that are really happening there, all kinds of musicians that are really working out of Durham. And I'm excited for the show. You can check out their Kickstarter. They only have the pilot out and need more funding, so you can check that out. The It's called Hype is the program and yeah well it's been good speaking with you i'm not getting any calls y'all are shy aren't you but uh i'll see you next week thanks for listening to oak city move and again you can check out the podcast on our website if you missed any of the interviews today